The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Hello, um, this is Mark Green standing in for Mary. I'm the medical director at Westridge. Today we have Ken Rosenberg. Ken is an expert on um, working in many areas of psychiatry, working with the severe mentally ill, working with addiction and addictive disorders, as well as sexual medicine. Ken Rosenberg is currently a clinical associate professor of psychiatry and public health at the Weill Cornell Medical College and New York Presbyterian Hospital in New York City. Ken has also produced many educational-related movies, uh, films, and videotapes over his career, including Through Madness, The Subjective Experience of Psychosis, several HBO shows, including Back from Madness, Drinking Apart, Families Under the Influence, and most recently a short independent movie about psychiatry called Bedlam. Um, for the last 15 years, Ken has been consulting editor for the Journal of Sex and Marital Therapy and has written many articles on this subject. And this is what we're going to be speaking about mainly today. So welcome, Ken. Thanks so much, Mark. Glad to be here. So to start off, tell us what sexual medicine is a little bit about its history and, and why it comes up in psychiatry at all. Right. Well, and sex is important in everyone's life and it's important in psychiatry. You know, it's kind of almost funny that in psychiatry we have not uh, looked at sex. I mean, Freud, of course, uh, brought shock the world, you know, over 100 years ago talking about infantile sexuality. But aside from that, psychiatry has always stayed away from sex itself and uh I guess it was probably really in the 50s with Kinsey and then later, you know, Mark and I, you trained, you, you and I trained at the same place, Payne Whitney, a, yeah. a wonderful teacher there, Helen Singer Captain, really helped bring sexual medicine into the fore. And, uh, it was really kind of, you know, more recently that sexual medicine and sexual addictions even have been something that psychiatrists and doctors have paid attention to. Clearly more recently with the development of drugs like Viagra, now everyone's sort of talking about it, but still it's not something that people talk about with the psychiatrists or their general practitioner or with their nurse practitioner or with the therapists, you know. Um, it's not something that's widely discussed. But, but, uh, but I guess to answer your question, sexual medicine is, you know, the study of sexuality and, uh, and uh, in all aspects of it from mind to body. Okay, and it's true when you when you, we um, really don't come across psychiatry or learn to really ask about it all that much. <clears throat> I think in the last ten fifteen years, maybe there's been more questions about it in terms of side effects of medications, medication um, yeah. disorders, or um, difficulties with orgasm or sexual um, libido. But again, but even. But it's been medicalized rather than, say, a discussion of the nuances of sexual sex in relationships. 
Right, yeah. I, I can't agree with you more. But I think that even in medicine, we, you know, we don't really talk about that much. I mean, in, you know, I was, when I was training as a resident, I was very drawn to, again, my teacher, Helen Singer Captain, you know, our teacher as well, uh, who, you know, who, who, who was able to really create what was called a sexual status exam. And that's not something that people are familiar with, so maybe I should kind of explain it if, if that's all right. I mean, what well, a sexual status exam is, and it's, it's an important thing in medicine, I think, and it's an important thing for people to be aware of. It's, you know, to be able to talk to a therapist, a professional, about exactly what you're, you know, thinking and doing when it comes to sex. And that's something that, you know, kind of we get all embarrassed about and people don't want to talk about. But it's really important, you know, to be able to say to a professional, not necessarily in a locker room, but to a professional who you could trust and get wisdom from and, and get medical help from to, to be able to tell a professional exactly what happens when you're in a sexual situation, you know, with your partner, who does what, when it happens, you know, where it happens, why it happens, um, all those things that we kind of, you know, take for granted. You know, most of the time when we're having sex, we not only turn out the lights, but we want to keep the lights out, you know, uh, metaphorically as well and not think so much. And then, and then of course, there's a great um, sort of exploitative explosion of pornography, which is the opposite, but in some ways the same. It's, you know, a lot of ignorance, in, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, so to have a serious discussion about sex is, is really what, what doctors should be doing and it's what sex therapists do, and that's called the sexual status exam. It's really, again, when you sit down with your doctor and tell her or him exactly what's going on in the sexual situation, um, you know, blow by blow, if you will. Yeah, and it's funny, I, I, you know, just like people wouldn't ask about addictions and then we learned just ask it's no the embarrassment is with the physician as much as with the um the, the patient in front of you it's the same with the sexual history if you're just asking in a straightforward manner as a professional trying to help somebody the shame and embarrassment dwindles Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, doctors are, are sometimes more embarrassed than the patients, I find. Um, we did a study at Cornell, well, about nine years ago at this point, uh, and we looked at um, whether doctors ask their patients about sex. Was, we were actually looking at a specific category of patients. We were looking at patients with severe mental illness, and these are people who get strong psychiatric medicines. And these strong psychiatric medicines uh, really have some strong sexual side effects. So it's really important that the patient talks to the doctor, the doctor talks to the patient about sex, about, you know, what's working and what's not working. And we found that, you know, uh, not maybe half the time, doctors would not talk to their patients about sex and patients, of course, would talk to the doctors. Uh, so... You know, something that doesn't get spoken about. Now, that's a big problem in psychiatry when we're talking about medicines because about half the time patients stop taking their drugs because of sex. They don't talk about it. They don't tell anyone about it, Mm -hmm. but they stop taking their drugs um, for reasons that go unspoken. Okay. So that's you, you say about half the time, or it's one. It's a major cause of why people often stop. Major them. cause of why they, yeah, why they stop taking their meds. A little bit more often for about thirty percent of the time for women, about half the time for men. Mm-hmm. And yet, there's many things that can be done um, rather than 
just stop and lose that therapeutic alliance because it happens in secrecy. Absolutely. I mean, the first thing you do is talk about it, right? You know, um, well, so many things when you talk about it, you can understand it better. And there are things that can be done medically. I mean, there's all kinds of medicines. Unfortunately, some of the most effective medicines have sexual side effects. But, yeah, lots of things can be done. And we could talk about those later if you want. Okay. Um, and you mentioned the effect of pornography, and you said it was ignorance as much as anything. <laughs> right. What did he mean by that? Well, pornography is fascinating to me because, you know, um, it is, uh, I'm saying this on radio, don't quote me on it, but, but I'm not sure of the exact numbers. But I think that our major export in the United States is entertainment, if I'm not mistaken. And I think our major form of entertainment, I hate to say it, is pornography. Our major export is amazing about the percentage (laughs) of the internet traffic, which. Right. um, The the, the thing that we may create the most in this country is pornography. Mm -hmm. Now, that pornography tends to be very misogynistic, very terrible towards women. And it tends to be the sort of the same thing over and over and over and over again. Um, you know, a little bit of different variations, uh, and I guess small variations are very, very important to people, uh, but really the same sort of thing. So, so pornography doesn't necessarily expand people's understanding of sexuality. In some ways, it constricts it, and it, you know, subverts it, if not perverts it. So that's why I, I say it's pornography is, I think, a continuation of... So well, a fairly ignorant um, stance we have uh, about sex. But, sorry, Mark. Yeah, saying. what I find is a lot of um, patients will have um, ideas about how sex ought to be based on what they've seen in pornography. Oh, my God, and it's so deep. feel inadequate because their penis isn't enormous or because um, their partner's not screaming. You know, or that this is the model of how sex ought to be, and they fall far short. Is that a right. general phenomenon? Or no pun sense? intended, yes. No, I think that's absolutely correct, that uh, people uh, really look at that. And, you know, I mean, it's very complicated when you're talking about pornography, but one of the things it does is I think it, it, it presents lots of misinformation. It's sort of like any Hollywood film, but this is even worse because it's, um, you know, it's kind of done with some of the worst intent, and uh, and as I say, it's often so misogynistic. Um, so I think it does promote very bad ideas. Guys, in particular, unfortunately, often fall in love with their pornography. So I think that it really gets them to think about sex, some you know, in the wrong ways. You know, in sex therapy, sometimes we use pornography, but. Like anything else, it has to be used in the proper way, in the proper dosage, and, you know, with some guidance. Um, the way most people use pornography, I think, is destructive, not constructive. Now, pornography seems to be very tied in with, say, addictions. Oh, yes. Particularly with certain types of drugs. And and when he said some, many men seem to fall in love with their pornography, it made me think about that connection. Um, if you know what I mean, could you could you say something about what what you see and how it intertwines with drug use and stimulants and the, the way people become fall in love with their addictions? With their yeah, addictions? well, well, sex and, and and drug and alcohol addictions go go hand in hand often. Um, you know, you, you, both you and I see a lot of patients in our practice who first use 
drugs and then, you know, an hour later into some sexual activity that is unhealthy for them and that they would not, not otherwise get involved in. Um, with men in particular, this happens, and women, this happens a lot with cocaine. So often cocaine is a drug that drives very much the dopamine uh, reward system. Dopamine is a very important, you know this, but I'll just say this for your viewers, uh, or listeners rather. You know, dopamine is a very, very important neurotransmitter in the brain, highly rewarding, you know, makes you feel super good. And that same system that's ignited by cocaine also uh, brings about sexual thoughts. So cocaine... I'm going to... We have a break coming up. Um, Also, the thrill of pornography and orgasm stimulate that same system, right? That Mm -hmm. it become intertwined, is that correct? Uh, I'm sorry, I lost you there for a second, Mark. Well, sorry. We'll come back after the break. We need to um, take that now. Okay, good. A minute. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for Co-Occurring Mental Illness and Substance Abuse Disorders. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure, what's up? Um, there's this girl I kind of like. Well, if there's one thing I know, it's women. Really? Well, they didn't call me velvet for nothing. I don't get it. Smooth. I was smooth. Oh, anyway, it's easy. You just got to impress her. Show her how strong you are. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? I don't know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt, if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, try it. (laughs) See, there you go. And you should dress up. Start wearing a shirt and tie. I look like a dork. No, you'll look successful. Okay. And finally, you can start using my cologne. The ladies love it, so don't be shy. Splash it on. Thanks, Dad. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To find out how you can adopt, please visit our website at adoptuskids.org or call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Janine Marks, a 12-year-old, was fairly normal. She spent a lot of time online. One day, she met a new friend. The new friend had the same problems at home. They liked the same bands. They worried about the same subjects in school. They promised to keep each other's secrets. They wished they went to the same junior high. The new friend had good news. He said he was going to be in Janine's area one Saturday. He thought it would be amazing if they could just hang out, go to the mall. Janine agreed. The new friend didn't want parents messing this up. Janine showed up alone. So did her new friend, who wasn't in junior high wasn't nice, and wasn't a 14-year-old boy. Every day, children are sexually solicited online. Help delete online predators. Call 1-800-THE-LOST or visit cybertipline.com to learn how to protect your kids' online life. 
a message from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and the Ad Council. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hello, this is Mark Green standing in for Mary Woods. And do give us a call if a question about sex sex addiction, and sexual medicine occur to you. Just before the break, Ken and I were talking about the role of pornography and stimulant use in particular. And off-air, um, we were continuing that conversation. And I was wondering, Ken, you know, with, with pornography, um, there's usually a series of very stimulating images which ramp up people's excitement. Right. Um, and builds and builds, and people can get into very, very long, protracted, um, compulsive um, pornography sessions and masturbation sessions. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think that um, they can be, you know, you hear about people doing that when they're coming down from um, drugs as well as when they're high, and then there's this um, great, you know, climax, and it seems to, and I think... You know, that it really relies on the same brain mechanisms of reward and excitement and anticipation that Absolutely. the drug use relies on as well. Absolutely, yeah. Distance. yeah. And so do you see a lot of shifting between this as you might with um, other addictions? Um, yes. I mean, as a psychiatrist, as an addiction psychiatrist, you know, uh, I have to tell people to avoid triggers, to avoid relapse. And for many people, the use of pornography will be a trigger. Now, mind you, I see people not only for drug, alcohol addictions, I see people for sexual addictions. So for many of my patients, pornography is something they must stay away from, or certain kinds of pornography they must stay away from. So um, uh, I think your point that pornography can be a trigger for relapse even if you don't have a sexual addiction, is absolutely true. You know, pornography, as we were talking about before the break, um, can be used therapeutically. By and large, it's not a, a constructive thing, as, as far as I can tell. It's uh, rather destructive for so many people. Um, you know, it's like any, everything else. A lot of people could drink. It's not a problem. But for a certain small percentage of people, it's an enormous problem. Same is true for pornography. A lot of people can look at pornography. Uh, some people look at it more than others. Certainly, it's a very addictive endeavor, even if you don't have the inclination for an addiction because it's very rewarding. You can spend hours and hours by yourself. You know, it kind of heals some void and cures some loneliness you may feel. But there's a subset of people for whom it's really horrible. You know, it's it kind of more or less destroys their lives. Now, those are a few, uh, that's a small percent of the population, but nonetheless, it's a problem. Pornography is also a problem because, you know, it used to be a thing that kind of kids got into when they were in their late teens. Now, with the Internet, yeah. the average age of looking at pornography is down to about 11. Last time oh, someone right. checked. Wow. 
So, you know, it's this is something that as a society we really have to deal with. No one's written about this more than a woman named Wendy Maltz, I might add, and she is a very prolific writer and has written lots of books. Wendy Maltz? M-A-L-T-Z. She's written lots of books um, about pornography and the, the damages of it, uh, dangers of it. But, so, um, yeah, what, what effect does it have on someone who's 11 looking at this kind of pornography? You know, I'm not a child psychiatrist. I'm yeah. an adult psychiatrist, so I, so, so I don't want to say, but obviously it's not something that we would want to happen to our children. But you know what's even scarier? It's not something we could control. I mean, you kind of can control it to some extent. You could block their computer, but then they go to their friend's house and they look at it yeah. there. You know, it's a, it's really a problem we have to deal with as a society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So when you, um, the other aspect about pornography is that it feels very different, I think, than a sexual. It's not a sexual relationship. It's a relationship with um, the image and the fantasy. Uh-huh. So. I wonder about how you would use pornography in a relationship um, and and how to cross over. It must be quite difficult because you're trying to increase intimacy and relaxation with a partner, and yet pornography um, pulls you away from that attachment. Well, you know, like, I mean, there's many people use alcohol in 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 a way that's not... Hurtful. I mean, you and I are addiction psychiatrists. It's not something our patients aren't people. We say, oh, have a drink, relax. Uh, we say, don't drink no matter what because we're dealing with people with addictions. But there's, of course, a large number of people in our population who use alcohol, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to help them relax. At bars, what do people do? They, they drink a little bit of alcohol and they feel freer to talk to people in the opposite sex. Well, pornography can sometimes be used in, in a similar way. I have couples in my practice, you know, who are fairly healthy, who don't have problems with pornography, and they watch pornography together and becomes, you know, something that they even incorporate in their lovemaking. Um, so so that can be accomplished. And, you know, again, I, I, I don't mean to say that pornography is terrible and should be banned. Um, so it can be used in a therapeutic way, if, that, if that's what you're, you're, you're getting at, Mark. Now, you also mentioned how alcohol um, loosens you up and um, is often used to initiate um, sex and and, uh, meet someone at the bar. And I've found that many people who um, during their adolescence are beginning with drugs and alcohol, when they stop in their their recovery, when they stop using drugs and alcohol, they're kind of clueless. How yeah. to meet um, a, a potential sexual partner, or and scared about how to have sex without drugs and alcohol. Oh, that's a big problem. Yeah, you know, I did a film called Drinking Apart for HBO on family on families uh, suffering with alcohol, and one of the uh, very interesting ideas uh, is that when you take away alcohol in a couple, not necessarily in a family, but in a couple. You change things in a relationship. Mm. In other words, even if you have a partner, and I've had this several times, who comes to you begging you to get their spouse off of alcohol, usually the wife says, please get my husband off of alcohol, and of course get him off of drugs. What happens is that there are changes in the family system. There are changes in the romantic life of the couple. 
couples, you know, we see a patient who's an alcoholic, chances are that person has had sex often using alcohol, right. and sometimes even using drugs. And now you tell them, you know, drugs are bad, stop using them. They're like, well, what about sex? And you're like, you know, you can't use it with sex either. And so you're right, there's a learning curve. But that happens in all of addiction, doesn't it? You know, whenever you, you take away drugs and alcohol and that's a part of someone's life, their whole social system, sexual, social, friends, you know, everything changes. But, yeah, sex, sex, is a, sex is part of it. So, yeah, you have to really spend a lot of time talking to people about how to engage in sexual behaviors without drugs and alcohol. And, you know, usually that means you're talking about engaging in, in healthier kinds of, uh, you know, social and sexual interactions. I mean, right. those... But helping, it's a, model, helping model um, for your client ease of talking about these things so they might be able to with their partner rather than um, follow the model of either drunk, drunkenness and sex or the pornographic images yeah. um, where, um, um, you know, and, and without drugs and alcohol, um, men, for example, might um, be much more anxious or have oh, yeah. or ejaculation. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, to, to be able to talk about this to increase intimacy and trust and work with someone over um, time in the relationship is all part of their recovery process, I suppose. Yeah, but I think you, I think you use the word clueless, didn't you, Mark? Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's so true. It's just the best word. You know, when uh, when people stop using drugs and alcohol and they, or, or stop using pornography, when they stop whatever their bad habits and their addictive behaviors are and they have to engage and face the world without those crutches, if you will, they are really clueless. And that's the work of recovery. That's what, you know, keeps us in business, essentially, that we really have to help not just get people to stop using drugs and alcohol, not just get them to stop using pornography, if that's their addiction. But now we have to work with them for years often, you know, to help them engage in healthy ways of interacting with the world and interacting with partners. That's a very important. Yeah, you know, it happens a lot with women, especially who use cocaine a lot, and that becomes um, just part of, and guys who use cocaine a lot, and, and that becomes part of their sexual repertoire. And now you take away the co- cocaine, they're really clueless. It's, um, it's a very interesting thing, actually, because cocaine increases people's sexual desire. So what you often see are people who are otherwise fairly asexual, you know, people who, fear, who have very little sexual drive, yeah. who have used cocaine to get some level of sexual interest. Now you take away the cocaine, they're back to a fairly asexual state. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of work that has to be done in re- recovery. You know, that's yeah, just awesome. one of a thousand examples of how, you know, you take away the drug, you take away the pornography, you got to find something, you know, that you have to help them deal with, with life on life's terms without the aids of drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever. Okay, so we'll come up to a break and we'll, I look forward to talking to you after. Great. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for Co-Occurring Mental Illness and Substance Abuse Disorders. This is an important programming note from the Voice America Women's Channel. The Catherine Zox Show is moving. Our new address is Voice America, and we will be heard on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, starting Wednesday, November 19th. All of the archives will still be available through Catherine's Boombox Player. Remember, tune in to the Catherine Zox Show on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, beginning on Wednesday, November 19th, on Voice America's flagship Voice America Channel. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hello, this is Mark Green with One Hour at a Time, standing in for Mary. Welcome back. So Ken and I both worked and trained at the uh, same hospital, and we had a um, teacher, Robert Melman, with the head of uh, addictions and public medicine there. Um, Very entertaining and thoughtful clinician, inspiring in many ways, inspired me to come into this field. and one of the things he always used to talk about was the raw sexual tension um, of, say, the crack, um, of, of everyone smoking crack. And he said, you know, it's not about sexual relations. It's just about this raw sexual stimulation. Where, and, and he'd go further. He'd say, you know, it's not about man or woman. It's not about, you know, it's just, it was um, without that kind of clear objective vision of another person. Do you, do you know, can you say, can you expand it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Bob was, Bob Milne was, was great in talking about that and our teacher and um, taught, taught us so much in addiction psychiatry. Uh, you know, it's, it's what is sex? Uh, you know, I mean, I think that even before I address the question, we have to think about that. I mean, is sex physicality? Is it sex affirmation? Is sex ejaculation? You know, um, uh, it, it, sex is so many things and, and could be so many things to the same person in the same hour. But when we talk about stimulants, when we talk about cocaine, when we talk about crack, when we talk about drugs that increase the dopamine system, that really push, push, push the dopamine system in the brain, we're talking about drugs which really increase sexual desire and sexual craving, but not necessarily the craving for an ejaculation. In fact, it's very, very hard for men in particular to have an ejaculation, very hard for men to have an orgasm when they're doing cocaine. Um, in fact, 
if they have an orgasm, if they can, because it's really hard physiologically, we'll talk about why, but if they have an orgasm, game's over. They're kind of done. And that's one of the reasons why crack and cocaine are so strongly associated with sexual activity because the sexual activity is never consummated. The, you know, uh, the way our patients use large quantities of cocaine and crack, they never really get to the orgasm. They never get to the ejaculation. They are just in that sort of fantasy-driven, you know, blind sexual desire state. Um, and I think that's what our teacher, Bob Nolan, that's right. he Bob Nolan's getting at. Yeah. He talks about that as, uh, in, in terms of public health ramifications, that in that state people would do much more extreme sexual acts. Um, yeah, there's a, and, and they could go on for night for hours. Pardon me. Yeah, yeah. they could just and, go and on and on and on with HIV and um, hepatitis transmission um, being and and also um, sexuality confusion afterwards because say uh, men would have sex with men and they they would then feel terribly ashamed and guilty because they hadn't identified as gay and right. and yet it wasn't a particularly homosexual or heterosexual experience is just a a drive of sexual energy. Well, you know, everyone's very complicated about their sexuality, but I do have a number of patients uh, who are men who have sex with uh, transvestites. Um, And they only do it when they're under the influence of cocaine. Now, one could argue... They like to when they're, you know, not under the influence and the cocaine disinhibits them. I, I can argue it either way, but the point is well taken. Cocaine makes you want to have sex and not necessarily engage in romantic, passionate, uh, orgasm-achieving uh, sexuality, but just engage in some kind of raw, turn-on sexual energy. And... What you often do, what one often does when they're under the influence of cocaine, when they're in this state, they just keep upping the ante. They go from pornography to prostitutes to transvestites to sex clubs all on the same night, all in the same two days, on the same binge. And it's, it's fascinating. And it tells us a lot about what sex is. How so? Well, it says that one of the components of sex is that that uh, that relentless drive, that dopamine neurotransmitter-driven drive, which um, it's not interested in getting satisfied. It's just almost like this blind ambition without achieving anything. Right. I think it also. I think that experience also tells us a lot about the addictive experience. Um, because it can be this blind drive without any clear objective in mind as well. And, just, and post hoc, you can um, try and make sense of it, but in the right. moment, it's just, it, 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 it has no, has no endpoints. It's just yeah. more drive. It's a great point because it, it demonstrates very clearly how sexuality and drug use, particularly cocaine use, often go hand in hand. And methamphetamine, which is, we don't see so much of it on the East Coast. But the same, the same kind of chemical issue. Yeah, crystal. Yeah. yeah. Can we? I want to bring us back to another point because I think there's all these issues that people coming to um, treatment or opening up in their own self-help recovery movements um, about what is normal and how they compare. You know, compare um, either in terms of 
um, sexual performance or skill or how often they're having sex or, um, you know, what, whether they're inferior. And is there any way to sort of say what is normal? Because if you're watching a lot of pornography, it's very distorted. It's completely abnormal. Um, well, I, you know, I think that every, every couple, every individual has their own sexual homeostasis. Every couple, every individual has their own point of what, what, you know, feels right. Uh, there, look, there are some people who have elected to be celibate, uh, for religious reasons or for personal reasons. There are other people who feel that they need to have three or four or five orgasms a day. Um, I, I, it's it's really hard to answer what's normal, but clearly, you know, every person, if you really ask them, if you really have an intimate, honest conversation, they have a sense of what's normal. Usually for, you know, a married couple who's been married a number of years, it means having sex some number of times a month, maybe even some number of times a week. For a young couple that's together, you know, just met, falling madly in love, it means having sex every day or every other day or several times a week. Um, helping someone reach a, a level which is right for them in their relationship without, uh, <coughs> without being driven um, either by um, skewed ideas from pornography um, or by drug relapse um, cravings and, and the like. Yeah, and I think people have a fairly good intuitive sense of what's normal for them and where they ought to be at. You know, look, people are different in their sexual drives. There are many men in my practice who need to have or feel they need to have, you know, two or three or four orgasms a day. There are some men in my practice, same age, who feel, you know, if they have one orgasm a week, that's just great. One orgasm every other week. So um, everyone has their own biological settling point, homeostasis, I would call it. And you're absolutely right, Mark. You know, our job is not to judge them and say, you should be having sex more, you should be having sex less. Our job is to help them reach what is a good state for them and to do it in a healthy way. Right. Let's talk about some more extremes. Um, and you know, sexual addictions have obviously um, come up in the press every now and again. Um, and I think the addictive addiction field has really over the last few years um, accepted this as um, falling under their remit more and more. Um, so could you talk a little bit about sexual addictions and what, you, what, what you've seen and what your experience is? With sure. You know, I mean, I think even now there's a lot of people who doubt that sexual addictions can exist. Um, I think it's, you know, it's fairly, uh, you know, um, fairly established that there are people who have sexual addictions. Um, but it's controversial. It hasn't been that well studied. Uh, you know, going back 20 or 30 years in where we trained at, you know, Cornell Medical College, uh, where we did, you know, our psychiatry training and our addiction training, uh, you know, uh, very reputable people at Cornell felt there was no such thing as sexual addiction I uh, felt there was no such thing as hypersexuality. Those people 30, 40, 50 years ago were coming out of the tradition of uh, sexual repression, 
they were coming through the 60s and the 70s in which it's almost like a generation that rediscovered sex after you know it being there being so much sexual repression so those people those doctors really had a hard time understanding that there was hypersexuality and that there was sexual addiction and then you know in the 90s it became abundantly clear that some you know there were problems with sexuality that there were serious fatal sexual sexually transmitted disorders that there was you know there was a problem of people having too much sex or at least having sex in very unhealthy ways um and a wonderful Being driven by sex into dangerous situations and losing judgment absolutely you know there's a great writer patrick carnes who started uh you know writing about sexual addiction he wrote a, a great book, Out of the Shadows. That's Carnes, C-A-R-N-E-S, and um, he's, you know, he really started, uh, and I think our popular culture in the 1980s and 90s, you know, this sense that there's sexual, there's sexual addictions and they need to be taken seriously. Since then, a number of 12-step groups have taken this to heart. There are three very good 12-step. Um, recovery groups, you know, 12-step meaning the kind of thing we see for Alcoholics Anonymous, AA, that are geared solely towards sex. You know, there's Sex Addicts Anonymous, sex, uh, Sexual Compulsives Anonymous, and Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, SLAA. In New York, where I practice, where I, you know, SLAA is a very, very good organization, as is SA and SCA, and there's great meetings all around, and my patients often go to these meetings. Um, and it's not just for people who are having too much sex. There's actually meetings for people who don't have enough sex. SLAA, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, has a sexual anorexics meeting in Manhattan, which is a fantastic meeting. I've taken patients to it myself in which you know people talk about the challenges of relationships. And these are people who, again, aren't having too much sex. They're having too little sex or really not having fulfilling sex. So um, that's, you know, a, that's a fair, that's a very new term. That's sexual anorexia. Right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it just means the restriction. Um, and can you say a little bit about what that means? Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, anorexia refers to having restricting yourself in ways that are unhealthy. Of course, the classic anorexia that we think of is food anorexia, in which people restrict their you know calorie intake because they think they're you know uh, too fat. Um, and there's sexual anorexia in which people restrict their sex, not because they think they're having too much sex, but because they're either afraid of it or they don't know how to deal with it, or they've had such an unhealthy pattern of sexuality in the past, you know, that they don't know really how to deal with healthy sexuality. So um, my point is that now, you know, to answer your question, people are taking sexual addiction very seriously, and, and there's a lot of very viable free, you know, 12-step places you can go. Not too many doctors who know about it, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, hopefully that's going to change. So we'll come back after the break. Great. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just... I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh. Ah! 
There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Ever seen a hornet, Shelly? No, ma'am. Well, you're five. What are you waiting for? They've built a nest outside your window. See? No. You will when you climb 15 feet up this ladder to get rid of them. Take this insecticide and broom <laughs> and send those stinging meanies packing. What if I fall? I could get hurt. Oh, you know about gravity already. You're so smart. Oh, go, 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 go. The hornets are waiting. Uh. Shoot! Get away! Away with them, dear. Hornets hate high-pitched noises. Yeah, uh, try not to swallow too many. Get away! Now, knock that nest out of the park. You wouldn't treat your child like an adult, so why put them in adult seat belts? If they're under four foot nine, they need a booster seat. I can't see. Are they biting me? Oh, that's so cute. No, honey, hornets don't bite, silly. They sting. Ow! For more information, go to boosterseat.gov. This message brought to you by the Ad Council and the U.S. Department of Transportation. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor in sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying, thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor in sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back thanking me for my concerns and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it and she flips out saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may have contained vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families can recover from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old fashion common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hi, welcome back. Mark Green standing in for... Mary, we've got Ken Rosenberg talking about sex, sex addiction, sex medicine. Ken, before the break, we were talking a little bit about um, sexual addiction, um, and I did want to ask, you use the same kind of models of treatment as you would for other addictions? 
Absolutely. You know, we have groups that people go into, relapse prevention groups in my practice in the city. Uh, people go away to rehab for sexual addictions. Um, it's rare, but it happens that sexual addictions are not associated with drug and alcohol addictions as well. You know, uh, many patients have comorbid disorders or have depression and anxiety problems. So all these things need to be treated in the context of, uh, you know, reasonable medical therapy. So there's a lot of overlap between the sexual addictions and drug and alcohol addictions. Absolutely, and a lot of overlap between sexual addictions, which isn't necessarily a psychiatric term yet, and general psychiatry. I mean, people who have bipolar disorder have sexual acting out, borderline personality disorder have sexual acting out, um, anxiety disorders can lead to sexual acting out, that's depression. Um, you know, the list goes on and on and on. So. If someone has a sexual disorder or a sexual addiction, you know, my suggestion is that they get treated by someone like you or I, you know, an addiction psychiatrist or psychiatrist who could do a comprehensive biologic and psychologic treatment. Looking for other impulse control. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's turn a little bit to some of the medication issues that can, can occur. What, and because um, so many people... Um, I think it's a little bit less now, but um, certainly over the last few decades, so many people have um, been treated with antidepressants. And right. um, you did mention severe and persistent mental illnesses, um, which might be treated with antipsychotics. Um, and people find themselves a whole range of sexual side effects, which can be um, well treated. But people without um, medications also have... Um, difficulties with sexual dysfunction. Sure. So maybe we could talk a little bit about sexual dysfunction and how it, how to classify it, and what kind of treatments are out there to help. Absolutely. Well, there's you know there's disorders in every phase of the sexual cycle. So there's disorders of desire. Uh, there's disorders of the sexual engagement. There's disorders of orgasm uh, and ejaculation. So at every phase. There's sexual disorders if you expand. What do you mean by the sexual engagement? You know, there's a, there's erectile dysfunction is very very common. Uh, vaginismus for women, uh, you know, dryness of the vagina, difficulties, uh, you know, getting aroused. Um, you know, lots of problems that happen in the course of the arousal stage of sexuality. So there's desire, arousal phase, and orgasm phase difficulties. And all those can be treated as a class, but, of course, everyone's different. So you really, you know, as we talked about at the very start of this, you know, we talked about the sexual status exam. So the first step is to take an, an appraisal of the situation for the doctor and the patient to sit down and figure out, you know, what, what the heck we're dealing with and why. Mm-hmm. So then what kind of, um, and, and often, I Tell us some of some of the figures that can be out there for um, sexual dysfunction, say with some medication. Um. Well, the the it's, it's it, this, the SSRIs, the serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and the related drugs. Um, like the Prozac to, and Paxil and yeah, Prozac and Lexapros. Yeah, exactly. Uh, those drugs. The majority of those drugs have sexual side effects, and uh, sexual side effects. Vary by age. So if we're, you know, I, I, you know, people talk about the statistics um, of how often sexual side effects occur, but it really depends on, uh, 
you know, it really depends on who we're talking about. If we're talking about a 19-year-old boy uh, or a 22-year-old woman, girl, we're, we're going to have, you know, fewer sexual side effects than we will with an older person. So, um, you know, with uh, someone in their 50s, male or female, it's, in my experience, it's very, very likely that you're going to have some sexual side effect. These is sexual side effects... Because- is that because the, the sexual libido in younger um, men and women is powerful enough to override the sexual libido? Exactly. Okay. I think that's exactly right. Um, and, uh, you know, it, these, the, the, the sexual side effects are also dose-dependent. That's why it's very important to talk to your doctor about sexual side effects because, you know, it might be possible you could get by with a lower dose of medicine, which won't have the sexual side effects of a higher dose. Um, so doses are very, very important. You know, age is important. Dose is also extremely important. And rather than just stopping your medication and feeling this isn't going to work out for me, there's also drug holidays or dose reductions at certain times when you're more likely to have sex, but it has to be done so carefully so that you don't have either withdrawal from the drugs. Absolutely. Uh, there's, there's drugs that be, can be given to, to help with sexual side effects. Um, there's drug holidays that you mentioned, which people could temporarily stop their drugs, but that's really tricky and has to be done in collaboration with your psychiatrist. It's not something anyone should take on themselves. Uh, and it also depends on which drug you're talking about because some drugs have a long half-life, meaning they're in your body for a long time, meaning if they give you a sexual side effect, even if you stop it for a day or two, uh, it won't make much of a difference. Other drugs have a short half-life, meaning if if you stop it for a day, you might get some sexual function back. There's also a way of mixing and matching drugs. There's a few drugs out there that don't have sexual side effects. They may not be the right drugs for you, but they can be given to you in combination with the drugs that do cause sexual side effects. It's all extremely complicated, but the long and short of it is you have to talk to your doctor and tell your doctor what's really going on with you sexually so that your doctor could treat you appropriately. And the last thing that want to happen is not talk to your doctor and then you just stop taking your drugs and, like, the heck with this, I want to have sex. That's what you don't want to happen. Absolutely. Now, there's also drugs that you can give alongside it, apart from certain antidepressants which don't cause these effects, like Viagra and Cialis and drugs like that, right? Yeah. That, no, no, those are drugs for erectile dysfunction. Um, the common side effect of many of the psychiatric drugs is not necessarily erectile. It's in the desire phase or it's in the orgasm phase. So, you know, it's again, it's, it, that's why getting back to the very first thing we spoke about, it's important to do a sexual status examination. It's important to know exactly what you're dealing with. Um, because of the problems of erectile dysfunction, that's relatively easy to treat nowadays. We have very, very good erectogenic drugs, Viagra, Sal, and so forth, Levitra. Um, if the problem is in the orgasm phase, that's a little trickier to deal with, and there's ways to deal with that. Um, which is the art of sexual medicine, but it's not just uh, you know as clear cut. So we've come to the end of our show, Ken. Um, you know, how can people get help quickly if they need to? Um, you know, they could talk to their local psychiatrist. They could go to their university uh, hospital, and most university hospitals have very good addiction centers, and they have really smart people who can help you. So you know, help is 
pretty easy to find, honestly. It's not, help's not the problem. Shame's the problem. Our patients are ashamed of what they have, so they don't talk to anyone. But if, you, if you're not ashamed, if you're going to get help, it's out there. They're doing a great job just by talking about these issues, reduce that shame, and increase education options, both clinicians and for patients. So thanks so much for being a guest. My pleasure. All right, take care. you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.